0: Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Jusak, and with us today is Sarah Wagner. Sarah Moore Wagner is the author of two full-length collections and two chapbooks. The full-length Swan Wife was the recipient of the 2021 Cider Press Review Editor's Prize, and Hillbilly Madonna was the 2020 Driftwood Press Manuscript Prize winner. She was awarded the 2022 Individual Excellence Award from the Ohio Arts Council, was a 2021 National Poetry Series finalist, and the recipient of a 2019 Sustainable Arts Foundation Award. Additionally, she was the recipient of a SAFTA residency, a merit scholarship from the Juniper Institute, a scholarship from the Palm Beach Poetry Festival as a finalist for the Thomas Lux Prize, and, you know, a slew of other award nominations, including Pushcart's Best of the Nets, and more. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Could you please start us off with a poem?
1: Sure. I'll read a poem from um, Hillbilly Madonna. Um, This one originally appeared in Waxwing and it's called Passing It On. I want to make a child from the one I've lost to make the base of her noble by some means. Alchemy, the tin girl my father built from junkyard scraps golden now. I'll pull her out of my pocket, hunched in the woods over a patch of clover. Show her to my daughter. Say, aren't I so lucky to keep carrying this with me? Look what I've done for myself, how far I've come. Bury her deep in the creeping water primrose roots that strangle the section of the pond where we search for snails, one after the other, turning them upside down to find a body. It's funny what's lost, how we pull up fistfuls of empty spiral shells, how I put the girl I have made deep into the webbing of organic matter, say live or at least absorb the heat from the August sky, the tilt of the moon, Neptune to blue your eyes. It never has worked that way. Instead, the metal of the girl I let die leaches into the water supply. We drink it and swell with the grief of being born like this. Swell our fingers, our kidneys and toes, grow so large the world won't miss us. How we burst open, vermilion the bank of this quiet space we've tried to sacred. How we are just one color now, red, better for it.
0: Hmm. That's excellent. Um was the space by where your family lived polluted?
1: Um yeah, well, my family. Um, My father was originally from um, kind of the Ohio foothills, but then he moved to inner city Columbus. So he sort of had this junkyard in his um, backyard of all of these scraps and um, the water wasn't great. He, you know, he um, repaired a lot of the piping and things himself. So uh, the space itself was, I think, the the juxtaposition between that space and then the more natural space that we often went to for summers and vacations and he went back to all the time is kind of I think a lot of the heart of this collection too the relocation yeah yeah
0: and and, you know the reason I ask is a lot of Appalachia is heavily polluted like companies oh yes I went to college in Marietta, and like right south of the river. There's a whole slew of chemical plants, and the big, PO, the, the big PFOA lawsuit by 3M was in Parkersburg, West Virginia.
1: That's where my mom's family's from. Is Parkersburg, yeah.
0: Oh, are they really? Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's crazy that's where because she was I from. yeah. <laughs> I was listening to you read that poem, and I was thinking, oh my god, that reminds me of Parkersburg.
1: Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay well that's her hometown (laughs) sad but also cool yeah (laughs) so let's go back to the beginning what is your earliest memory of poetry
1: I think just speaking about my mom um she when I was my parents divorced when I was really young and she um went to college when I was about five years old um because she wanted to be a teacher and so um my earliest memories of poetry are kind of going to class with her I would she was a single mom so I would have to like I would go to Ohio State with her and sometimes sit in on her classes and I would get exposed to all of these adults that were talking about you know art and poetry I remember um she had like an Edna St. Vincent Millay book and she would read me, you know, Shell Silverstein and things, but my mom really did. She was a really young mom, kind of read me a lot of her grown-up coursework and things, which um, I think that's the first, you know, what made me want to start speaking in poetry because I always, even from being a little kid, I would write my diaries in poems and not like regular prose. Oh, that's and interesting. Yeah, and I think my mom was just kind of from an early age, like, you're a poet, Sarah. And so that's <laughs> what I've been. <laughs> I don't have any other skills. So,
0: <laughs> so what did you mo- what did you make these poems after? Were they modeled after something you read? Or were you just like free writing? How did it work?
1: Yeah, just free writing. And then I feel like when I was a teenager, I got exposed to um Tori Amos, who was a little bit, I don't know if you listen to Tori Amos, but she's um weirder and more lyric so i moved from like the rhyming to i can write things that don't make any sense they're just like word paintings and um <laughs> then i did that and <laughs> here i am today
0: do you think that's that's always something i've wondered do you think it's uh that's one of the hooks that gets a lot of poets like they realize that there's this lack of structure they can just play in like it's an open sandbox like that moment was a big realization for me, at least, where I was like, oh, I don't have the confines of other genres. You still have, like, to meet certain standards in terms of what makes it good, but, or, or at least a fun experience for the reader, but at the same time, there's a lot to play with.
1: Yeah, you can be narrative, and and lyric, and image, but, you know, you can do it all at once, whereas, you know, my brother's a visual artist, and I always envied that, but I can't do it very well. So um, I can paint a picture and I can tell a story. I can do it all, you know, and I can be musical too, which I'm not very good at all. So really I just do it because I'm not really good at other.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you just haven't practiced enough. That's all. Yeah.
1: That's
0: true. <laughs> so what was that moment? What was the opening moment for you? Do you know, like when you said, oh my God, the possibilities are endless.
1: Mm. Um, I feel like It came later, you know, um, my, my poetic career, I went to undergrad for creative writing for a BFA in, in poetry at Bowling Green. And then I didn't write for like seven years or something, you know, I think I was just doing it because people said, this is what you're good at. So this is the the thing that I, I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to be. But then I didn't write for a long time. And then really once I became a mother and, um, I started you know I got to read more and more and I stopped kind of just focusing on my own writing and genius that's when I started to say oh look at all of the things that that poetry can do and experimenting with breaking the boundaries of what I thought a poem could do came a little later I think for me
0: okay so did you had to like dismantle the ego yeah (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah. my ego had to get blasted a little bit before I could you know, think, okay, this, I I need to fall into this as an art form and see how I can push the boundaries to find my own thing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. That's, that's a profound bit of growing up there. That's awesome. Mm. (laughs) um, And it's awesome. You could do it through art and it wasn't like some traumatic family feud that facilitated it instead. You know what I
1: mean?
0: Yeah. All right. So you're, a career is just like taking off in the last few years I mean your your bio I mean we just read it everybody's yeah. just, just listened to it so out of this recent upswing how has that felt
1: it's really surreal I would think like I mean I do think but like I said um, there was a long period I didn't write at all you know I just wanted to Really, I just wanted to like party and not be a grown up for a long time. in my life. And then I got, I actually got pregnant in South Korea, weirdly. Um, and so then I had to come back to America. And then I was kind of, what am I doing with myself now? I'm going to be like a single mom. I have no, I used to be this poet thing that I was talking about when I was little and have this, this potential, but now what am I have nothing that I'm doing? I'm like living in my mother's basement pregnant you know <laughs> so then um, I started kind of teaching to make some money and then I decided oh I want to be a literature teacher because I'm done with poetry and I was kind of nearing 30 at that point um, and I went to graduate school at Northern Kentucky University for literature not for creative writing and I had a poet there Kelly Moffitt who um, I took a creative writing pedagogy class and she was like you're a poet you're talented like what are you doing you know and so then I kind of was like, you're right. And I returned to it. So it's been, you know, I just, I just turned 40. So it's been about a decade since I was like, you know what, you're right. But like I was saying, at that point, when I kind of came back to poetry, humbled and really wanted to make it a real art and something that I pursued, I feel like I had a lot more drive because I had a child, you know, and I had failed at almost everything else that I would tried to do. So then, um, you know, for the last 10 years, really, the last five years, I made like a five-year plan. Um, so for the first five years, I was kind of just coming back to poetry and honing my craft. But then I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it Hundred percent. I'm going to go for everything I want, and if I don't get it in five years, I'm going to quit. I said, but I don't think I would have like actually quit. But that's what I told. I said (laughs) you can do this and get all the rejection and let people beat you down for five years, and then we're going to reevaluate. You know, it's one of those things where you can handle it for that long. Sure. The rejection. But really, it was like three years into that plan. In the same week, Hillbilly Madonna and Driftwood, like Driftwood won the, or I mean, Hillbilly Madonna won the Driftwood book book prize. And that same week, Cider Press called me to say I had won the Cider Press Review Editor's prize. So things, it feels like it was a really long time coming, and then it just happened all at once. So it feels really surreal. Like it doesn't, it, it just it's a weird dream right now (laughs) yeah
0: sure I mean and I know this is kind of like a you know career counselor question but if you were like 19 and in college and sitting in a literature class and you saw yourself now what do you think you would say to yourself
1: Mm, just like do the work, <laughs> don't, you know, that it's going to be easier if you do the work now, instead of um, mess everything up until you're like 40 and then do it. <laughs> but yeah,
0: now flip it. What would the 19 year old say?
1: Oh, the 19 year old would not hear me. When I was 19, I said, I don't care what um, <laughs> happens to me. I don't care if I'm like a waitress and homeless. I'm just going to be a poet.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Um does it does it affect how you write? Like I I've always wondered, you know, after a, an artist gets like a really big album or something, do they become self-conscious and do they change how they approach their craft? Does that happen for you?
1: Yeah, a little bit it's at first it was um, you know, what do I even write about? Now I still kind of feel that right now. Like what's the next? Thing because when I was hustling, I have three more full lengths that I've written besides these two in that span of 10 years. (laughs) Like I was hustling, and now it's like, okay, I've kind of been, I, I was really trying to validate myself and my art, and to myself too, and to my kids, you know, like make sense of what I was doing this for. And now that I feel like I've been a little validated. It's a little bit like, okay, what am I gonna do now? You know, and yeah. so and and I had um, someone tell me, you know, why don't you just enjoy it for a second? You know, like we're always hustling for the next thing. So I'm trying to let my brain. Sorry, dogs here. I'm trying. To... Sorry, I got a. It
0: <laughs> it's okay. Dogs need that <laughs> so, too.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to let my brain like allow me to take a break. And enjoy what I've been working for, but it's hard because I still feel like there's a next thing and a next thing and and nothing is done, you know. <laughs> so I'm in a weird space, I think, right now. Hopefully it is.
0: I think for someone who's like, you know, intensely creative and knew from a young age that they were and learned to express from a young age, which is probably the more important aspect that you're looking at the world and just processing through your writing now. And it's that maybe redefined what enjoyment is. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Maybe it's not, maybe it's not aggressively publishing, but it might not be total relaxation either.
1: Right. Yeah. I feel bad with, you know, I don't feel like I need to keep pushing or I should, but then also I don't want to just stop, you know? So like what you're saying, find that balance between, hustling and quitting <laughs>
0: <laughs> well nobody said anything about quitting but <laughs> yeah no <laughs> all right so you went on this cool residency thing it's it's called SAFTA it's the Sundress academy for the arts and it was in Tennessee and they built themselves as a Tennessee holler like cabins in the smoky mountains like out in you know boondocksville so what was that like what did you interact with the other writers were you surprised was there a change in how much you were writing did you have to chop your own firewood for the wood stove that kind of thing (laughs) because you had wood stoves right
1: (laughs) yeah well not that it was more like a little cabin but there were animals that you had to take care of like a lot of animals chickens and things oh really I was actually pregnant with my third child and it was um, back before I even had my first chat book accepted. So I had not really done been part of the writing community, or done anything with the writing community. And I have to say that Sundress people, particularly Erin Elizabeth Smith, are just amazing about the way they support writers. Um, She had me come to like a workshop with her and other writers. And Matt Hart was there who's from Ohio. Um, He was there giving a guest reading. So I got to meet him. And as someone who doesn't really feel, you know, I feel like I've just been a mom without much community around me for a lot of the time that I've been writing, being able to go there and be around writers was amazing. It was a little scary to be in a house in the middle of the the woods with all those animals around and being pregnant. I couldn't uh, do a lot of the farm work. So um, the long-term resident there, he was very good at helping. we he's actually come and stayed at my house since then. He um, like did a lot of my farm chores for me, especially I was very terrified of the chickens <laughs> <laughs> and he, he would like pick up the chickens for me. So I feel like it's a, it's an experience. It's a time that you get to connect with other riders in a way that doesn't feel really formal. It feels like you're just kind of in the middle of the woods connecting and, and having these adventures together, kind of like summer camp you know, with animals.
0: (laughs) So so how does it work? So you you get the award and what's in the contract? Do they say, okay, you have three hours of farm work a day and then you have the rest of the day to do whatever you want. And oh, and here's your space in the fridge.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. You say, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) you have- chores and then there's like readings and workshops that you can go to in the city of Knoxville if you choose to but they say you have this whole day and grant the long-term resident he was working I believe at the um UPS or FedEx or something so he would be gone most of the day and then I would write all day and then we'd come together and and have dinner whatever and he would pick up the chickens while I screamed
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was fun. <laughs> it sounds good.
1: Yeah, I'd love to go back. back I've been meaning to, but with the pandemic, I think a lot has changed. But I'll probably go back sometime soon here. <laughs> if yeah. I can. Mm-hmm.
0: How how did how did the pandemic speaking of that, how did that affect your sense of isolation? Did it did like Zoom open you up to the community or did you just like how did that work?
1: I kind of um so my, I have three kids, the 13 year old that I got pregnant with in Korea. He, um, he started doing virtual school. And then I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And when the pandemic hit, um, my seven-year-old was in preschool. And so, um, her preschool shut down and then she was supposed to go into kindergarten. I thought, how is she going to go to kindergarten? Um, You know, I don't know that she can sit in a class like they weren't moving classrooms or it was going to be online. And I was like, she can't really be online very much. She doesn't know how to do that. So I decided to just homeschool her. Mm -hmm. And so the past two years, I have been doing poetry and like locked in my house, homeschooling my children, basically. So it was very it felt very isolating. So it's kind of weird. Now I'm teaching again, um, and I have these books out, and all of a sudden I have to, I'm like connecting with people that aren't my own small children. So <laughs> it's a big change for me um, from being so isolated, and it's a little bit overwhelming, but it's I think it's good for all of us to get back in the world again. Now they're now they're all in school, so
0: yeah, I, I can heavily em- em- empathize with that because before the pandemic hit. My son was five. And mm-hmm. so, you know, my kids were young before the pandemic, so I didn't really get out a whole lot. And then the pandemic hit right when I was starting to. <laughs> and so then it pushed me back in again. And now it feels like I'm talking to adults for the first time in like yeah. eight to 10 years.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. It's like, what do I, yeah. <laughs> how it's do It's creatively
0: I inspiring though, because you you hear other people read and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot. This is This is fun in the context of others. (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is nice to have grown-up conversations.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Hillbilly Madonna. Um, Right at the beginning, what what inspired the book and what did you experience while you were writing it?
1: Well, this book, originally, Swan Wife and Hillbilly Madonna were weirdly one book, um, where Hillbilly Madonna, the childhood sections and the like adolescent teen sections led up to the, sw- the getting married part because you know which mirrors my story um it was like my childhood my like messy teenage period and now I got um remarried when my son was about six so then it was like learning to settle down and be a wife all is one cohesive story and then I thought this is really a lot for a full-length collection so swan wife a lot of those poems were already done and written. um, And whereas Hillbilly Madonna was a little bit shorter, you know, it was a little bit more lacking at that point. So I started thinking, what do I really want to say, you know, with these stories about my childhood and these stories about, you know, my wild partying days, what am I trying to say? And what larger thing am I trying to say about the region? And I was thinking about, anyone who's you know the, the opioid epidemic has hit everyone that I know basically okay. um, I've lost family members friends a lot of people to to drugs and the girls that I grew up with especially me I had a split existence between my mom and who was really pushing for education as I mentioned she was going to school to be a teacher and my dad who I was with 50 percent of the time who you know he has asked me to drop out of school to help him with my younger siblings that's the kind of person um he was he actually just passed 6 months ago but um he uh so in my mind i was thinking about this kind of sliding doors type element of you know all of these girls that i grew up with that didn't you know get this better chance at life that I did they weren't different from me and just seeing people being um you know people make drugs such a moral thing that it's just like a moral failing and especially women who lose children and fall into addiction are degenerate awful people and a lot of me you know I I've experimented with drugs in my life but I had the mo- kind of mother and the kind of resources that I thought, oh, I have this other life that I can get that is in my grasp. And uh, that is just, the, the girls that I grew up with are, that were like sisters to me are not different from me. And that, that became the kind of impetus of this book of exploring who have I been, who, um, and, and giving a face to women who fall into addiction to say that they're not just these you know moral degenerates that they are it's like the whole madonna whore dichotomy which is kind of comes from the title of the book that you can be have these things in your life and be broken and still be a madonna still be you know holy and worthy of redemption so um and so then i started going to the places that i spent my childhood uh, jackson ohio and tar hollow state park i spent a lot of time there as a kid with my dad um, going to my dad's house and things, and kind of trying to inject place and all of that into into the book, and to make it about more than just my own childhood. Basically, is what it came from.
0: Yeah, yeah. It. It. And I think the place definitely came through. Well, I, I think the definitely the the focus on the gradient like you said, it's not a more, these aren't moral choices. There's, Mm. you know, addiction is a disease and you have a gradient of characters that feel human in the book, which is what I liked so much about it. But the place is in there too. Um, You actually mentioned once that uh, you didn't want to oversimplify Appalachian people or their experiences. And I thought it was interesting that you also said your father was very stereotypically Appalachian. (laughs) Like, He like wore camo clothing and he rode around on four wheelers and he baked bean dumplings. Um, So how did, how did you, at what point in your life, did you like start moving past those stereotypes and see other people around you and like the places of Appalachia, not just your father, but you know, a variety of people and a variety of things.
1: Yeah. Well, I think like my parents helped with that because my mom's from West Virginia and she's very, she insists that she's not a hillbilly you know, <laughs> and her family. I mean, sh- there's a lot of trauma and tragedy in her family, but they aren't sort of the stereotypical, you know, the stereotype that my dad, I feel almost made himself. And um, I, I don't know if you know, you know, the poet Pauletta Hansel, who does a lot of research. Oh, yeah.
0: pa- is pa- awesome.
1: Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> and And we've talked about him because, you know, she she does a lot of stuff for the Urban Appalachian Community Coalition, and she, well, she talks about how when these people are just, like, stereotypes, like, some of the people are stereotypes, but when they are there, the community's like, oh, why are you doing that to, you know, the community, yeah. and, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the way my dad was, and I honestly feel that a lot of it was a shield against the rest of the world. It was a, you know, he dropped out of high school, he, um, you know, was involved in drugs and, and had a lot of kind of illegal guns and things like that, but he also lived in a pretty dangerous neighborhood, inner city, you know, and I feel like it was, this is my, I'm posturing, this is my identity to scare everybody in a way. He was kind of a a scary, (laughs) um, guy in that way, but, um, so some of it I think was a shield and some of it, It's complicated because I think it has things to do with like right wing politics sometimes about, you know, I'm showing who I am and this is my identity and I'm going to show it through adopting these stereotypes, which have really been used against me to kind of make people think that these poor yokels are idiots, you know, but I'm going to embrace that. I think it's very, it's complicated. And I think. You know, he, he loved being a hillbilly and my whole, the moors they love being a hillbilly and they tell me I'm not hillbilly enough because of my mom, even though my mom is from West Virginia, she is also a hillbilly. So (laughs) I think that a lot of these stereotypes, basic, my basic answer would be sometimes these stereotypes um, are bred among pockets in the community itself in some ways. But if we see the whole community as just being that small pocket or or larger pocket, even if we judge everybody that comes from that region as being a certain way, um, that's where I think we run into troubles. But my dad was kind of that way.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Now, um, you going along with like the questions about place, one of my favorite poems was called Captivity Narrative. And you had these lines, it, it was, isn't the land supposed to be here for you to carry you home? Does your feet do your body little by little? And the poem itself has this, nat- this nature imagery just kind of, I don't want to say infecting, I don't think infecting is the right word, but like saturating the body of the speaker. So you have like, these vultures, kind of looking down, and like the, the the dress is made out of ants, or the ants are stitched into the dress, and like the skin is like melding, like Vulcan mind <laughs> melding with the clover around it. Um, so that made me wonder: how do you relate to the natural world around you, and what do you want to know about the countryside and how it relates to you?
1: Yeah, I mean that's such an interesting question because I think, you know, especially the landscape of our childhood makes us um in many ways you can kind of i spent a lot of my time you know having two single parents basically uh being told to go outside and get away you know (laughs) so i kind of found myself by laying in various fields and and staring at the sky and things like that but then also i don't um i have a poem in swan wife anti-pastoral you know I've I've always considered myself to be an inside person in a weird way you know (laughs) and maybe it's because I've been kind of when I was younger just forced to to stay outside and the bugs and the heat I think you know in hillbilly madonna there are a lot of like sweat bees and gnats and bugs that annoy you while you're you're out trying to have fun in nature but um I think for me it it is uh, you know it feels a lot like nature wants to kind of reclaim me and is is frightening to me in a lot of ways um, whereas my father felt the opposite he was never happier it, it could be cold and hot as anything he would get up at 4 a.m and be in the woods covered in deer pee you know <laughs> like he did not want to be inside so I think in some ways in this book it works symbolically too as kind of a rejection of of him and what he represented um as well as you know just a a discussion of landscape and how landscape makes us and how we're bodily we're human we're animal we're connected to the land whether we like it or not whether we just want to be inside people or not (laughs) yeah yeah i see it Mm -hmm.
0: um the collection ends with uh this interview with jared schwartz and I thought that was interesting. I've never seen that in a poetry collection before where it, it ends. Usually there's like a forward if there is anything at all, you know, or at the end, you might have like an index or a glossary or something, you know what I mean? But you have like a full blown interview. How come? Yeah,
1: <laughs> I Driftwood always does. And I was surprised to, to, you know, when they told me first, they, they were like, okay, we're going to publish your collection and we want to publish a poem from it with an interview from you. And we're going to do an interview in the book. And I was like, oh, that's a lot of me talking about, you know, I think it's poets. Sometimes we're like, I don't want to explain what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Let the work stand. Um, <laughs> but they really do. um. Jared and James, they love like lengthy interviews. I think talking about craft and contextualizing things is super important to them. Just as a press, they do it in their literary journal and they do it in all their books. And um, I actually thought when he asked me those questions and I thought I'm going on and on, maybe he'll cut it down and he'll tell me, I'm just going to say everything. And and he was like, this is great. I love really lengthy interviews. (laughs) so. Um, I think I just think that they they love to contextualize poetry and but I think that's really cool too because especially in this collection um, I feel like a lot of family members and things in particular will come to it and um, not understand what I'm trying to do or or be upset at me and it kind of gave me a chance to be like hey grandpa this is what I'm doing <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know and, and it it Let's me you know contextualize it for for the world yeah,
0: yeah yeah um let's talk about your craft because you have poems that are kind of traditional, like the first time has <laughs> like the word sleep in italics like way off by itself and you have different structural things that you do so how do you approach your craft how do you find yourself experimenting and Where do you, where do you say this is too much and you shut it down? (laughs) Mm.
1: I, this is interesting because I, I, I once took a workshop with Maggie Smith and she called my poems torrent poems. And I kind of like that. Like, I think I do write that way. I write very fast and I write a lot. It's probably the way I talk too. I talk kind of fast and it all just comes out and it's really intense (laughs) that's how I write and so then a lot of times I have to especially when I'm writing a collection or I have a bunch in a row I'll think to myself is this the form that the poet the poem it's um you know the, the Levertov's organic form I think is a really an essay that I enjoy where it's like is this does the form um is it meeting the content? Is it doing anything for this, or am I just writing in these sort of short lines that look like a giant waterfall? Because that's just what I do, and so I try to shake myself out of that as much as I can um, by asking myself, "Okay, what what is this poem really wanting to do? What is the sound like besides just me talking? Um, does this poem have a sound that's different than what I normally do?" And then I'll kind of play around with the words in that way. I also write a lot. Um, when I'm really stuck, I will, I have a book of different poetry forms, and I'll write a lot of forms, so there's some forms in both books, um, just to, I like a box, and I like to kind of force myself to break out of a box if I'm stuck in it, so that's kind of how I approach it.
0: Okay, does does that affect how you lay out your collections, like, are you intentionally trying to split up some of the waterfall style like K Ryan poems from each other?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I do. And I definitely, you know, I'll, I'll try, I think sometimes I'll put, if I have two prose poems or something, I'll put those together just to show, you know, it's not just thrown in there if they're thematically similar, they need to be together. But I, I like, if, if I put a bunch of intense poems like that back to back, I want it to be for the feeling of the collection overall. Um, Otherwise I I want to break it up. And especially I find myself, I'll do endings similarly. A lot of times I want to, I'll make myself stop that or break out of it or, or write something that's a different form, make myself slow down so that it's not just uniform the whole way through.
0: Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, One of the things you mentioned was uh, because you talk a lot about trauma and in the collection and uh, about also not just trauma, but like breaking the cycle and like the steps you need to take in order to like put your next foot forward and to kind of shove off our instincts, like the things that are kind of bred into us really or baked into us really early on. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if you might speak to that a little bit because it saturates the collection so completely yeah. and anything you're comfortable discussing, obviously not.
1: <laughs> sure. Well, I, I'm, lucky that I'm close with my mother um, because we have been able to have these kind of hard conversations. My mom, when she was 14 in Parkersburg, her um, my mom's grandfather murdered her grandmother and her mother while she was in the house. It was a big big like crime of the area it's in this book called violence in the valley that the police officer wrote and my mom was basically the hero of this story she was 14 she had three sisters she like saved two of them from the house There were like gunshot bullet wound bullet holes in the like doors around her as she ran it's like a comic book it's amazing and my mother is just this heroic figure to me because I mean Pretty soon, like four or five years after that, I was born. So talk about inherited trauma, you know, and and she met my dad, who's kind of, you know, this high school dropout ruffian, also teenage guy from Hillbilly, you know, And, and she got pregnant and here I am and my brother and all of this. So I feel like, and my mom would talk about, oh, I looked so much like her mom just in my crib. So I feel like from the moment I was born, I had this lineage of trauma put on me um not purposely by my mother but she was like a child you know and so she's done she's really done her best and and dealing with herself trying to break out of whatever lineage that left for her by going back to school when i was 5 um my Dad's mother, even though they were divorced, she my, we, I call her Mima. She watched me the, my whole childhood while my mom was in school and stuff like that. So she was kind of my other mother. But Mima has these like really backwards ideas about what women should do. Um, my mom talks about how when she was going to college, Mima was like, "You act like one of those people that's going to go make forty thousand dollars a year." And my mom laughs about it, like forty thousand dollars. I'm going to make more than that, you know. Yeah. So. And, you know, my grandma, we were homeless when I was little. And I remember eating only potatoes for a long time. And my mom, she just has fought. She has fought. And no matter how what an idiot that I have been, because I've really tried to be an idiot and mess everything up. She is the one who says, you are not doing that. You are not being your dad's family. You are not being that. And and so I think that has been a theme that has taken over kind of my whole Well, since I was little, I've had this expectation on my head by my mother, you are not this um, person and you're going to do something bigger than all of us could, you know? Um, And so since I've become older, she always said, oh, don't write. You can't write about me till I'm dead. But since I'm older and start writing and and we have this trusting relationship, she's been saying, okay, it's okay for you to write about this or "You you can talk about it this way. In Hillbilly Madonna, there is... Um, discussion of, of her mother's murder and all of that. Um, but that's her story to tell too. So my view is what's important to me. And it's important to me to pass on to my own kids is that yet yeah, there is inherited trauma, but there is a way we are not just what we come from. We can, we are able to make our own realities.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. And now you, you've been talking like your early wild side and like mm-hmm. this lifelong you know your mom dragging you into the fold um that's kind of what swan wife's wife is about right like your collection yeah. swan wife it's about taming a wife i guess domesticating is better than t- probably a better word mm-hmm. but like domesticating a wild woman who has now uh, is now appreciating a domestic lifestyle so t- let's talk about that radical inversion w- where where did you notice that you at what point were you working on Hillbilly Madonna and you're taking the poems out and setting them aside? Did you realize that that was what the collection was about? And and how did you keep working
1: on it? Yeah, I, I mean, really, I think Swan Wife, in some way, it's a deceptively smaller book because it really is for me. It's about one year. It's about that first year of marriage, where um, you know I got pregnant on my honeymoon. And so suddenly everything, I already had a child, but um, this was like, oh, now I'm just like a, a housewife. And so for me, I had a desire to explore what does that mean? So I have a lot of housewife ads, various things, kind of poems. And I've kept thinking about that story of like swan maidens or animal wives where you know they take their coats or whatever and then they're forced to be married and they have to like get rid of their old selves um but there's like a chinese one called the peacock maiden and um in that one the like the prince helps her like refine her coat so that she can be happy in marriage and still kind of be like a peacock so um i think that's what i was you know the the fact that okay i am happy like being a mom and, you know, being, I'm happily married now. I'm not, I, I, I got married at 30. I'm not like settling into, you know, my, this role because I'm forced into it. This is something I've chosen. And, um, what does it mean? What does it mean for me with the history of what it means to be a housewife? So I thought, you know, this is kind of my own journey in the same way of like a hero's journey, you know, like the bigger myths. I want to make it like big and mythic, this thing that's not allowed to be big and mythic. I'm going to make it a big myth and I'm going to set it. So I actually set it in the hero's journey, which is kind of like cocky of me, I think. But <laughs> and then I like read Joseph Campbell and I put it into the sections of this is what the Swan Wife is going to do. So um, but it, it, I mean, it's like I tried to make it big and epic, but also very small and make it about, OK, I can take the parts of this that make me happy being with my kids, um, being with a man who loves me. And I can get rid of all of the the societal bullshit. I don't know if I can say bullshit.
0: Oh, you can. That's fine.
1: (laughs) I can get rid of all the societal um, bullshit that um, makes me feel weird about this. And I can just be wild and domestic at the same time.
0: Yeah. It seems to be a running theme in your work, right? Like you talked about how the Appalachian people are not one note and simple. And that's that's something that Pauletta Hansel, who you mentioned earlier, has always been railing against. Like this, this is a wide, you know, there's a wide variety of people that live in these communities. But also being a housewife, I think can be oversimplified. And like right. what it means to be a housewife, like they you, you get seen suddenly as like an apron wearing barefoot, you know, sort of, but that's, life doesn't end and it doesn't go into that Phase, you determine what that is going to look like for you.
1: Mm -hmm. And what does it look
0: like for you? What did you discover?
1: Well, I think like when I first started, became married and having small children, I mean, you have small children. So maybe you've seen this, people just stop seeing you as a person. They start (laughs) asking, like, about your kid. Nobody asks what you like or who you are. So you do feel like you lose your identity, you know? So for me, it was like, okay, I'm. I'm going to dive into poetry. I'm going to dive into my art. I'm going to follow my passions. I'm going to do this thing that like people think you shouldn't do. You should just sacrifice your whole self for your kids. And I'm going to let my house be a little messy and I'm going to follow my dreams, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Okay. Well, uh, would you like to read us a poem? Take us home.
1: Sure. I picked a, um, an anti-wife one. Excellent. So it kind of goes, this is from the middle. So the middle section is where I get real pissed off about, you know, being a wife and the things that are expected of wives. Um, so I was going to read you one called Dead Wife. <laughs> <laughs> the winter you buried me, the snow fell one, two, three times over me. And it felt almost like the house we made together, which was always too cold. The house I'd decorate was the marigolds I'd grown in the side yard. The ones no one could see. How you'd bring marigolds to my grave, deep orange and pristine, how I could feel you wanting above the layers of separation, above the crystallizing trees, and even above that, how you'd shouted your want into the sky and held it like a great saucer. Then under the ground, how my hair spread out like a rug, and I rose up as if planted, up like a crocus in the spring, and you picked me and placed me on the table just where I always would sit. Then in the morning, I'd wake and set that table again and again, one, two, three times a day, lighting the pilot light in the stove, browning and serving flank steak, chicken thighs, bread. When we lie in bed, I say, Don't touch me, or I'm still dead. But you do, you always do. And the snow erases my footsteps like a day. Isn't that always the way?
0: Excellent. Okay, well, this has been Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter, at Ohio Poetry, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. A transcript of this episode can be found on the OPA blog. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. This